Hey guys, welcome back to A Higher Way with Tay. I am Taylor Taylor, and I can't believe it's episode six already. I have some incredible guests lined up for the rest of season one, and uh, this one, you guys, is a special one. So I can't wait for you to hear about Jared's story, the mission of Heroic Hearts Project. I just absolutely loved my conversation with him, and if you could, I would encourage you, please get on Instagram and give Heroic Hearts Project a follow. Show them that you support them, their cause, and obviously that you support these vets. So enjoy today's episode. I also wanted to take a quick second and remind you, if you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can find me at The Taylor Taylor or A Higher Way Podcast. And if you feel so inclined, I would love it if you would rate and review the podcast, either in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks, guys. And here's Jared. Jared, hi. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's such an honor to have you here. I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to our conversation for a while, and I know how valuable your time is. So this is a really big deal to me that you're willing to take time and have a conversation with me today. Yeah, thank you so much. I I, uh, I really love to do this because it, it gets me out of, honestly, my, uh, my shell that I have in my house. <laughs> oh, yeah, I get that. Well, it's funny, you know, on that note, too. I feel like we're kind of, we come from two very different backgrounds and where our paths kind of intersect is really, you know, the medicine and Mm -hmm. it's like two very different paths and, and two very different reasons that we both individually ended up having, um, you know, that pivotal and life-changing experience with ayahuasca. And I feel like in a way I'm on one end of the woo spectrum and you're like way on the other. (laughs) So this is a good balance, I think, for my audience. Um, But you know, what we have in common is that our lives were so positively changed because of Mm -hmm. our experiences. And that's really, you know, what I wanted to talk about today. So, you know, a little about you, a little bit about you, you know, you're the the lead integration coach at Heroic Hearts Project, um, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that helps veterans suffering from military trauma by linking them up with psychedelic therapies, including ayahuasca retreats. So I'd love for you to just share a little more in depth about Heroic Hearts Project and like your role there and kind of what their cause is. Yeah, um, we started back in uh, 2017 and it was, it really formed just on the basis of um, our founder, Jesse had an amazing experience with ayahuasca and an amazing healing experience at that. And he thought, I got to get this to the veteran community somehow. So that's where it all kind of began. And I met Jesse in the jungle uh, in 2017 when I was uh, when I was living out there. It was my last month out there when I met him and um, and we were doing a, a retreat together and I and he told me that if I ever, if he ever needed help or something else, he'd give me a call with Thoreau Carts. So about 2018, I got called up to, to be the integration coach. And in 2018, I had no idea what an integration coach was. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was like, uh, somebody coaches you to integrate. I was like, I don't think that's how this works. Um, but I was interested. And he told me that my main job is to basically help the vets prepare and then also integrate their experience when they get back home. And, and I was, I'm all for that. So I got my training through being true to you and, uh, got certified and then just went, uh, 
<laughs> went for it. So we had a, we had a good wait list that year um, and we try to fill as many as possible. So basically what heroic hearts does is we take um, veterans who are struggling with uh, PTS or um, combat related or otherwise um, mental trauma or anything that basically we can stem back um, to any veteran, not just special operations or um, infantry. We, we let, we basically link them up with the retreat center and we send them down to the retreat to get the healing they can from, from ayahuasca and the places that we primarily work are in Mexico and in Peru. Um, but not only do we send them down to the retreat, but we send them, um, we set them up with a pretty robust integration program and they do three sessions of integration, um, before they leave to get them prepared. And that's about a month worth of coaching at that point to get them prepared. So keeping them on dieta, uh, making sure that they're they're journaling, doing mindfulness practices, and also really honing in on those intentions um, going into the retreat. And then after the retreat, when they get home, we do three more sessions minimum uh, to work with them to help them integrate what they experience back into their life. Because um, as most of your listeners who have drank ayahuasca or maybe yourself knows um, it can be sometimes a little rocky getting back into your regular life after coming back yeah. from such an experience. That's, that's one way to put it for sure. I, I love that about Heroic Hearts Project that you guys like, you know, anybody can get on a plane and go to Peru or Mexico or Costa Rica and drink medicine. But having that the structure of the integration for, you know, before and after is so crucial and so important. And I love mm -hmm. that that's such a big part of the program. Yeah, we, we really tried to uh, maximize the the healing benefit that this can have. Um, Jesse and I both had very similar experiences when we first drank, like I didn't have an integration coach. He didn't have an integration coach, but we, I didn't either. <laughs> and, and, and it, but I don't think it was something that, um, had I known about at the time or had I known that it was, um, that it would help, I probably would have got one because I had to do a lot of legwork myself, uh, to feel comfortable enough to go to Peru by myself and to drink ayahuasca. Um, and, well, and so I, I agree with you on that. Like the legwork just to get on the plane to go, mm -hmm. it, that takes a lot. And when you're considering doing it and maybe don't have a community or even a person that you can discuss like, Hey, this is something I'm thinking about doing kind of wrestling with the idea on your own. That's it's tough. Yeah. And having a support system I think is, is key to key to it. So a lot of vets have a pretty shaky support system at home. Um, and this at least allows them one outlet to talk with somebody about their experience. And, um, our coaches with heroic hearts are also veterans as well. And they're veterans of our program. So they've worked with ayahuasca and they were in the military. So they have a, a language bridge that really works well with the vets. Definitely. And that's so important. And I would love for you to touch on that, like as a, you know, military vet yourself. So I know you were in the Marine Corps and then you were also, a military contractor in Iraq. Tell me about, you know, what your experience was that led you to finding ayahuasca. Um, well, it was, it's kind of a, a long story. So I'll give you the, the shorter version of it. But um, I was, uh, when I was contracting, I would come back home on leave and I would, uh, I had a girlfriend at the time who was really into psychedelics. So I would do them recreationally with my friends or for, uh, for things. I never really did them in a spiritual or healing setting. It was always yeah. like, um, you know, leisure or relaxation or fun. Um, and, 
And so I had my first DMT experience and that was the first time that I ever had like my wow experience with psychedelics. Mm -hmm. I mean, like they wowed me before, but this was, this was a whole nother level. Like, like everyone had been saying, as I've been reading at that point or listening to. So in the experience I had, um, one of the entities told me if I have questions, I need to go to the jungle. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what that meant. Um, And then when I came out of it was kind of um, coming around, my girlfriend said, well, you know about ayahuasca that's in the jungle. And, and that was after that, there was like a seed was planted and I couldn't get it out of my head. I was being called to the medicine at that point. And um, so I researched all this stuff. I could, I went back to Iraq because that's where I lived and worked at the time. And I researched all this stuff and I found a center and I, um, and I did a very long, I did, probably more work than I needed to do because I like, I quit smoking cigarettes. I, I was, I lost like 30 pounds. I ate vegan for a whole month, which is really hard to do in, in Iraq, by the way, cause I'm pretty much, I just, can imagine. <laughs> so it, it, I just, I, I really went ham on it because I didn't know what, um, I didn't know what to do or what was the right way of going about things. So I, I just did that. And after I came back, um, from the jungle, I, I just knew I had to get this to the veteran community somehow. I didn't know how yeah. or what was going to happen, but it did so good for me um, that I wanted to get it out there. So that's that's kind of the quick version of of how uh, ayahuasca found me. Did you, when you came back to Iraq, did you share about your experience with many people? Like, how did people receive it when you opened up about <laughs> going to the jungle and drinking ayahuasca? So that DMT experience I talked about when I went back to Iraq after that, like on that contract, I was like a man possessed. I, um, I couldn't get that experience out of my head. So I talked to everybody about it. I talked to my team about it. I talked to my coworkers about it. I talked to everybody about it. And I was so fascinated about this. Like, I mean, to me, it felt like I had met God and that that's why I was so like, uh, obsessed with it. So, um, they couldn't, they couldn't get me in a room without me talking about it at that point. So yeah, what was interesting about that was, is that the more open I was about it and the more curious I was about it, but not, but not like I didn't stand firm on it was like, it's the answer or the right thing to do. I was honestly just cause no one out there knew and I didn't know. So we were, I was just kind of comparing the notes I was hearing or reading about. And then, so they got really curious about what it was going to be like when I came back. They became yeah. really curious about who would be this person. Cause I told them about other people's results and trip reports that I had heard. And so when I was, when I went to the jungle, there was a part of me that really didn't want to come back to Iraq. Cause I was like, what's the point? Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't, but, but there was a lot of love that was waiting for me back at that place that I eventually learned that, um, and I say this a lot, like I went to Iraq as a contractor with the mindset of like, everyone is the enemy. There's ISIS or over the, over the wire. We're getting, we can get shot any day, keep my guard up. It went from being that. And then after ayahuasca, it went to being home. Wow. Where I felt safe and loved and, with people that I cared about and, um, in love with the the culture and and all that stuff. And, and I was, and that's what eventually led me to go in. Like, I don't really want to, to fight anymore or put myself in a position where if a fight comes that I'm going to have to be the one to do it. 
So, yeah, or um, having violence, you know, and yeah. especially right after drinking ayahuasca, I can't imagine. I mean, yeah. I don't know how you did it, Jared, going to Iraq of all places. I just can't even imagine what, what that was like those first few days and weeks after. Everyone was so excited when I came back and then everyone noticed immediately that there was a difference. And um, it started that people could feel my heart for the first yeah. time. And, and that led to my relationships with every single one of those people out there to deepen uh, very much. And I had one-on-one -on -one conversations with so many people and we talked about God and spirituality and love and compassion and all types of stuff in Iraq and then mystical things. And I mean, I just didn't hold back. I just, there was no, yeah. there was no like, oh, well, I'm talking to this role of a person who is a former Marine or contractor or this. And that. like, I didn't care about any of that stuff anymore. It was just like, there's a person here and we're going to talk. And I, it just, like I said, it went from, it went from being on a job site or a contract to home for me. And that's the best way. And it was so like gradual, but it was just, ayahuasca told me to live my life with unconditional love, unconditional acceptance and unconditional trust. And I said, well, if I can do that out in Iraq, I can do it anywhere. So. Amen. Seriously. <laughs> and so you went, you were back in Iraq for how long before you left there to go back to the jungle? I was in Iraq for uh, 10 months before I okay. went back to uh, Iraq. And that was, uh, I mean, back to the jungle. And to be honest, when I went back to the jungle, it was, um, it was also a resistance of wanting to go back to the States because I didn't really want to fully integrate. <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Because yeah. like in Iraq, there's also a bubble. Like I didn't have, I didn't ha like, I think that it, I had an easier time in Iraq because I had my routines. I had my, my, my literal bubble of like technology that like, so I didn't know what was going on in the world, nor did I care. So like now at home, there's so much stimulus all over mm -hmm. the place coming at mm -hmm. me that I did not have in that place. So I turned my contract into uh, like a little ashram for me. I meditated every day. I did yoga every day. I worked out. I ate right. I kept my mind on philosophy and on and on spirituality and, and like the process of what I felt what I was going through. But there wasn't things like here in the States pulling on me to go do this or to take care of that or to, or to make this decision here or any of those things. Cause it was all just the same day on repeat when you're out there. Yeah. I can see how that would provide a nice setting to be able to really, like you said, with the routines and just focusing on yourself and your, you know, process and your path. Um, there is so much stimulation at home. And I think that that's, can be a hindrance with integration sometimes, mm -hmm. but, but also it's amazing that you were able to, to just cultivate that in a place like in a war zone. I mean, I think that's pretty amazing. <laughs> At the time I wouldn't have called it amazing. Cause it was just, I felt like I was just returning to my, my life. Right. Like I was just like, mm -hmm. and, and for a person who hasn't, didn't have 10 plus years of like experience in the military and also in, in contracting and stuff, Yes, it would seem rather incredible, but to me, someone going into the tech field, like as uh, someone who's a coder and integrating yeah. in code, like in that environment as well, I'm like, wow, how do you do that? Yeah, <laughs> I guess there's there's more of a lack of humanity, I think, in that setting than even in something like a war zone that you're living on a military base, you know? Yeah, in, in some so cases. You... So I had to search for the humanity. You know, I think that's yeah. what I did. Was I mm -hmm. was I as I connected to the humanity instead of deconnecting.
And that's important too. And so then you decided that you wanted to go back to Peru, but this time you wanted to go with the intention of living and working. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. So um, when I made the decision to to leave my contract, I um, I knew I wanted to go do more work with ayahuasca. Um, so I um, sent a letter out to the retreat center that I uh, first went to, and I asked them if I if there was a spot open and available for me to facilitate. And they said, yeah, they take volunteer facilitators, and they'd love to have me. So I um, so I immediately packed up my stuff and flew down to Pucallpa, Peru. And that's where I remained uh, for the next, uh, I'd say, 11 and a half months um, doing facilitating for ayahuasca ceremonies, uh, drinking lots of lots of ayahuasca um, as I, when I first went down there thinking I was going to start training uh, or learning from the Shipibo about like ayahuasca and their culture and all that stuff. I didn't fully understand that they didn't it's not really a left or right seat kind of a thing where they're like here's how our, here's our culture here's this plant here's how it works there's none of that it's like well if you would like to learn about this plant you need to have a diet mm -hmm. if you want to learn about ayahuasca you need to drink ayahuasca so um i to in order to learn from and to learn about ayahuasca you have to drink a lot of ayahuasca so when i was out there i i facilitated and we drank ayahuasca a lot. And I, and I went through some of the, um, the deepest work I think that I ever went through in my life. And it led me to doing, having this conversation with you right now. Um, and that, that was about a year uh, of my life. And it, it has, uh, that, that time has altered everything for me. And I would, and no, I would I honestly, imagine. And I, and I, and I wish that everyone could have the opportunity. So I know how privileged I am to have all of the things align where I could just do that for myself and go mm -hmm. live in Peru for a year and do these things. And, um, if anybody's trying to be like me, I, t I promise you, if you, if you go to the jungle and do the things that I did, you'll only be just as neurotic as I am. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's, well, it's just a matter of perspective. You're so lucky that you got to have that experience. And I know for me, when I came back, I went to Costa Rica for my first experience. And when I came home, I was like, I'm ready to sell everything I own. You know, I'm a nurse. I was like, I don't want to work in Western medicine anymore. I'm going to mm -hmm. sell everything. I want to go to the jungle and work with the medicine. Like, that's what I want to do. And, you know, that, that wasn't the path for me, but that's okay. But I mm -hmm. think that it's an incredible opportunity to get to go it's a different experience and setting, you know, when you're there working versus as a guest. And like yes. when you were saying about all the medicine that you drank, it's funny sometimes when I'm talking to people and I explain that in ceremony that the, facil the facilitators are drinking medicine too, they're like, what? They're mm -hmm. the shamans are drinking. I'm like, yes, they ha they have to. It's part yeah. of the it's part of the ceremony. It's part of the process. And so, so yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there was a lot of ayahuasca drank during your year there. I I would like if you could to touch on you know, what you learned about yourself and what you learned about the medicine while you were there in that setting of working as opposed to your first time, you know, just drinking. Um, so for myself, I think that, um, <laughs> I think I unlearned a lot of stuff about myself more than learned mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to put it frankly, I, um, I learned a lot about who I am not and, and that got me closer to just being who I always have been underneath all this stuff. Mm -hmm. The, 
I think what that year really helped me do was cultivate a lot of uh, compassion that I did not have um, at that time because coming off of that, that contract and honestly that last 15 years of my life um, was, was a pretty loud and angry and violent time. So this gave me, I think the first like real year of peace that I had experienced. And I don't think a lot of, I don't think, I don't think I would ever had that opportunity um, had it not all the stars aligned the way it is. So um, I think I, I learned that I can be very neurotic in peace and I can also be um, very um, uncomfortable in that time period in that peaceful state. And that's what, mm -hmm. that's what kind of brought up a lot of the, the work that I need to do. Now, as far as what I learned about ayahuasca was, um, was that don't, <laughs> don't think you know anything about ayahuasca. <laughs> don't <laughs> yeah. like that's, that's one of the big ones. But I, I, I learned that, um, that the more you drink the, it doesn't mean the less scared you're going to be before you drink it. Mm -hmm. Um, I learned that if you, I learned deeper forms of surrender that have now transferred into my life, um, externally that I did not expect. Um, like when I can feel the energy in my life kind of on a peak, it reminds me of the high experiences that I've had with ayahuasca kind of, um, the best way to, to, to describe it is, um, like if you have a 10 scale for things like, oh man, that was like the top 10 or the 10 out of 10 worst experience or scariest or best or whatever. Ayahuasca gave me a lot of tens to compare life to mm -hmm. whether it be the best or the worst. And so when things in my life go really bad or things are really hard, I can pull back to memories from ceremony. Um, and not even just like, I wish I could give you like a story arc to the ceremony, but it was like, here's this feeling. How do mm -hmm. you move around with this feeling? How do you, how do you allow this feeling and not resist it? Like that, that kind of lesson moved through it. And the, the simplest wisdom is what I got from ayahuasca. There's not a lot of complex things like just be love, breathe, things like that. Surrender. Yeah. Surrender. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you said that it helped you unlearn. And I, I get that. I totally get that. And I think that's the beautiful thing about ayahuasca is that, you know, it really gets to the, to the root. So it's mm -hmm. like, if you have, you know, chronic pain or you're miserable at your job, or you just have like underlying anxiety or depression, whatever your reason is to go to the medicine, it's not treating the symptoms. It's reaching in and pulling the problem out at the root, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and what remains is the essence of who we are and we've always been just kind of without some of that added garbage that can get piled on. Um, so I love that. I love that you said that it, it helped you unlearn. I think that's really beautiful. How do you feel like the medicine heals pain and trauma? Huh? I, um, I personally think the medicine gives, gives the user of it, the empowerment of healing themselves. Mm -hmm. Like um, it, even if, even if someone didn't have a hugely profound ayahuasca experience, but say they still traveled out of the country and they did this, this big thing, and then they're coming home, that whole experience can be a catalyst for them to completely turn their life around because why not? 
They're like, well, mm-hmm. and, and it might be subconscious as well going like after ayahuasca, I'm going to be better and they're just better. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that um, all around ayahuasca does do uh, physical healing and, but most of it is done through the user's inner healer who mm-hmm. already knows how to heal the body. Like it knows how to f- fix its cuts and to heal broken bones and all that stuff that it does on its yes. own. It just empowers yes. that to, to, to do that. Now on a scientific level, we're not really sure, but I would, the, the Shipibo believe that there's, um, there's only like five things that are actually physical, like problems of the body. The rest of it's like mental or spiritual issues wow. that are coming wow. through. And, and I wish I could tell you what those five were. Um, I don't know off the top of my head. So if anybody's curious, I'm sure you could look it up, but, um, <laughs> It's, it's a very short list, but the rest of it is basically to say they can be cured through spiritual healing or through, you know, mental healing, which is the same thing. You know, you're just kind of massaging yes. the brain to surrender to the spirit. So right. um, it's, so I, I think that the, the medicine works through empowerment. And then also um, on a science level, it, the, the default mode network of the brain is shut down and that allows the brain to talk to itself in ways it's never been able to do before and it's finding new efficient routes for neurons to fire that are also curing habits and also making you look at the world a certain way and all those little things it's just amazing what little sparks of electricity are doing in our brain it is amazing and see that's the reference that i appreciate you bringing to the table today because i'm on the other end of the spectrum that's like i don't even care about the science you know (laughs) the intelligence of the plant works with my higher self and the healing and i love how you were describing though you know the the body's natural intelligence and it Mm -hmm. is you know the most intelligent like computer system that exists and it just gets a little bit out of whack sometimes and so the the medicine just helps with what we already have and the inner knowing or the higher self sometimes as i like to refer to it Mm -hmm. to recalibrate but again thank you for sharing the science backed you know because (laughs) that's that's equally incredible for sure i i I tried to find a way to bridge these two worlds because I like you, I'm very woo woo on the other side of things because that's, that's maybe the only language I have to describe what I'm experiencing or what I have experienced. Um, so a long time ago, I realized that science or the, the way we use science is just putting words to God's miracles is the way mm-hmm. I like to put it. So it's I like, love that. we're just trying to put understanding to the miracle of the thing that we're in right now that nobody knows what is actually right. happening right now. So right. We're, just, we're just trying to feel comfortable about not knowing with words. Um, so take it as you will. But I, I look at it like sometimes science is a really great way of bridging what I'm trying to say. And then other times, maybe it's um, a spiritual language or the gospel for God's sakes, you know, who knows? Right, right. No, absolutely. So while you were there is when you met Jesse and he had had the conversation with you about like, hey, if you want a job down the road kind of thing about Mm -hmm. coming back and and working with the vets. Um, And I remember I I heard you say on a previous podcast that, you know, you were trying to find a job that aligned with your new values after Mm -hmm. you left there. And I wanted to tell you how much I get that because going back to, you know, me leaving Costa Rica for the first time a couple of years ago and just feeling like, that's how I felt. I had these new values. I had this new approach about my life. And I, I really wanted to find 
a career that aligned with it. And it felt to me like being a nurse working in Western medicine, like just wasn't aligned mm -hmm. with it. So I'm store, I'm still like sort of on the path of that, you know, figuring that out and, and doing this podcast was part of that evolution too, of just mm. like, these are my new values and talking about these things and finding heroic hearts was when I came home from Costa Rica and I'm like, okay, I can't move there. Um, what can I do where yeah. I can still be somehow, of service or just, I don't even know. And that's when I found heroic hearts and reached out and was like, Hey, do you guys need anything? Like, mm -hmm. I was like, I will like stuff envelopes. I will, you know, I <laughs> do admin stuff. And then someone emailed me back and was like, yeah, we actually, we have this ambassador program, um, which is super awesome. So I was able to get involved that way, but, um, I'd love for you to, okay. So let me back up for a second. I'd love for you to talk about you. You met Jesse, you know, you mm -hmm. guys have this like incredible connection where it was like, by no, was no mistake, no chance. It was like, yeah. met, he says, you know, are you interested in coming on board? And then tell me how your role as an integration coach there kind of came to be. So that conversation was like a year between the time frame when I actually got a phone call from him. It was like leaving the jungle, giving him a hug. And he's like, hey, man, uh, I told him, I was like, if you need any help, you let me know. And he's like, I will. So that was the conversation we had in the jungle. And then like a year later, I get a phone call from him and he asked me if I want to be an integration coach. Um, I want you to know at the time during that whole year, when I, before he called me, I was, uh, I dropped, I went, I, I started college and then dropped out. Um, and then I started working an odd job, odd jobs here and there to make some money. And then usually didn't stick around. Uh, I started working at a, at a dish as a dishwasher at a high school down the street, which is like, that's what I hung on to the longest. Cause I felt at that time, it was like, if I can't do things that are not involved in medicine, which is illegal in the United States, or mm -hmm. if I can't do something that is, um, you know, and I'm not going to do something that's security wise, which is what I have 15 years of experience in. Cause I don't want to be that guy anymore. Um, so I didn't know where to go. So I was like, well, dishwashing is where I'll stick with it. Cause I need to make some kind of money. Mm -hmm. And, and that's when Jesse called me and told me about coaching. And I was really excited about the idea of this happening, but you know, I wasn't even going to be making any money as a coach probably for the next couple of years. Cause like I was the only coach and we also didn't all of our, every single drop of our money went to supporting the veterans and that's where it needed to go. So all of the, the coaching I did was pro bono for a, a quite a long time. Um, so while I was uh, trying to align myself with these things, I kept thinking to myself because of like, man, I had this incredible like time in the jungle and I learned so much and um, these profound experiences, I must be working on the shamanic path, right? Which a lot of people right. that I know that are integrating feel this way. And it's normal because, well, this is shamanic initiation that people do when they go drink ayahuasca. Like that's, that's normal shamanic initiation. There was a time where People didn't drink ayahuasca. It was just the shaman or the healer. The healer would drink it and sing and the other people would just receive the songs. That was it. So it's, um, it's interesting to me that, um, that we have so many people who are like, I'm a shaman or I'm a healer. I'm this after ayahuasca, because I think that ayahuasca is that higher self empowerment and that higher self for everyone is a healer, is a nurturer, mm -hmm. is a lover, is those things. Mm -hmm. But to call yourself a shaman or a doctor, for instance, is that's that to me, that's like saying I'm a doctor, but with one right. year, of, with one year of school. So that makes you a nurse, like a nurse or a nurse assistant, not a, not a doctor. It's um, interesting that you bring that up though. And I'd love to hear your take on, because 
this is a real thing. Like people drink ayahuasca and are like, I'm a shaman now. Like this yeah, happens. I, and I went through it. And that's, and that's what I'm, uh, during that time period. And I, uh, I even went back to the jungle to try to facilitate and it, it, um, and I got thrown out of the jungle again by ayahuasca through my ceremony saying like, yeah, thanks, but no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, and I didn't know what to do with that. Um, later did I know that actually my place is here doing coaching with veterans in the States and that kind of thing. I had no concept that this was going to be a thing. Like I didn't know, um, I didn't point my sales this direction. It just kind of happened. And, and I just was there enough to say, okay, I'll try this as opposed to no, I won't. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and that's, and that's how it kind of unfolded into, into what it is, is, um, is that I was so focused on thinking it had to be one way, which was like, you know, doing what I saw in the jungle, but it didn't, but because of my focus being on it that way, I was completely oblivious to all the stuff that was happening for me on the background. So anybody that may be going through this right now, I just say like, lean into whatever you're working on now, integrate your experience with the medicine spiritually into your career or life. And then the rest will unfold and the career and everything else will fall apart or fall away as it's supposed to. Yes, I completely agree. And is that advice you give the vets you're working with during their integration? Like, tell me a little bit about what a typical, or, or even like this, like for people who maybe haven't drank ayahuasca before, the struggle with integration, I'll give from my experience, you know, you, you have these very profound experiences and then you come home and the things that you're used to, whether it's the job you go to every day or the house you live in or the marriage you're in or the, you know, whatever, sometimes things feel different or you feel mm -hmm. different and you feel out of place. And it's a weird, I also heard you say, I have to reference this because I loved this. I heard you say once that if you, it's normal in integration to feel like you're not integrating correctly. <laughs> and yes. I was like, I love that because every time I'm like, Oh, I'm not doing a very good job of this. I'm, you know, I'm a mess or yep. and <laughs> that, that to me says you're doing great. <laughs> so I mean, that's very reassuring. I, um, so can you touch on that about like why integration is hard and specifically for these vets, you know, what that process is like for them? Well, it's hard because there's no, there's no real guidebook. Cause it's so, individualized and personal, just like your ayahuasca experiences, just like your psychedelic mm -hmm. experiences. It's so individual and personalized, but on the grand scheme of it, it's also everything you're going through is very human. So it, it can be generalized in certain standards, but I think the integration is so hard because we have no place to put these experiences in our culture. Um, yes, like our, so true. in, in America or the West itself. Um, for me, like my friend's um, growing up, they had experience with drugs and all this other stuff, but they did not have what I had in the jungle. Cause if they had, they would have, I mean, like they would, there would have been a whole difference, like in right. how they, how they talked to me about their experience. Right. So, um, that was difficult for me when I first started integrating. Um, because like, I didn't, I didn't feel like I had a community to, to talk to about it. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so hard, but I, I, I think that especially with ayahuasca, one of the reasons that I rationalize why this happened for me, like why certain things just stop 
losing their, they stopped turning me on in a sense. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I just stopped caring about drinking alcohol, for instance. Like I, that mm -hmm. wasn't something I planned on doing. Mm -hmm. It just happened. Um, and uh, a few other things in my life, relationships and other stuff fell away. But I think when this happens on major aspects, like I'm not happy at my work or I'm not, I see all the problems at my home now and all this other stuff and there's nothing to do. I think that when people are integrating with that type of situation, the way I reference it is, is that it's some things in your life are still are not going to feel the same way because ayahuasca removed a trauma from your life. The attachment to a trauma, I should say, not the trauma, an attachment you had to a trauma in your life. And then you're coming home without any of that attachment anymore. And that attachment could have been the whole reason why you got married the whole reason you had kids, um, the whole reason mm -hmm. you got this job, the whole reason you're trying to support your family, the whole reason every, it could, it could have been a foundational thing in your life that, that basically put all things in course to why you hang out with the people you hang out with or to why you love your partner. Mm -hmm. um, and it shows you where maybe you were not a, you were conditional in your love with things in your life, whether it be career, family, friends, whatever. And that's okay. And that's a good thing. It just sucks to look at it when it's happening. Cause you're like, yeah. you're like, I don't want my whole life to dismantle. And I'm not telling anybody to dismantle their life. What I'm saying is, is try to integrate what you've experienced about unconditional love and trust or whatever you got from the medicine into that experience. And if the people or the situation are going to be resistant to that light or that love, it will naturally fall away. Mm -hmm. Whether That's we such want good it advice. to or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It will. It, it, people, things, situations that aren't in an alignment, I guess I would say, you know, they do kind of fall away. And and you're sort of just re-figuring out, you know, um, how you walk about in the world, you know, um, without those attachments. Yeah, I, I love that you guys have this community for, for the veterans that are going, because like you said, that's so, so important. And I mean, how big is that community now? Like how many veterans have you guys sent? Um, we have sent, I think, um, since 2018, we're looking at, uh, probably 400 veterans, I, I believe wow. is what we sent. Um, and I could and be a little a off on numbers pretty long waiting list too, right? Yes. And actually this year we're starting up a new form because I don't, we don't like waiting lists because say, say you get on a list and then like you get signed on for a retreat and then it says like, sorry, you're going to wait for the next year and a half until we can get a hold of you or something. Yeah. So we're actually going to start doing um, a, a sign on, like a rolling sign on kind of like colleges do where they have like mm -hmm. a, you sign up and then basically the first ones picked from this point will get onto the retreat and then the next ones. And so we'll have these retreat dates open that people can select these dates work for me. And then if you get selected, you go, and then you can basically continue to, to signing on uh, every few months until you, until your time comes up. I feel better more about the lottery than I do about having somebody not feel like they've been heard or have an opportunity to try again. So maybe you weren't picked this, this, and that this last time, but maybe the next time you'll get it the next time and the next time. And, and we're yeah. aware of who goes. So it's not like you can go twice or, or cheat the system. Right. So the, the people that are going, the men and women, the veterans that are going, you know, I think obviously most of them are dealing with, like you said, PTSD in some 
trauma from mm -hmm. combat. But can you touch on a little bit about just the reality of what the mental health crisis is in the veteran community? Because it, it makes me sad to think like, not that I clearly, I do not feel like going to the jungle and drinking ayahuasca is, ext is extreme, but I think a lot of people will say like, wow, this is how we have to take care of our veterans is through like a nonprofit that fundraises and sends them overseas to get them the help that they need. Because like, what's the problem here? Like what is not working? Why is it so hard to get them the treatment they need here in the States? Um, so the reality of it is we have an overworked VA system that is um, that mental health practitioners that work through the VA are overworked, underfunded, and, and don't have the time or the space to dedicate to proper healing procedures. And the way we've set up things for the last, you know, 30 years or so has been push mental health drugs and then send them on their way. And mm -hmm. And now we are at the 30, 30 plus years of this has now happened and we're seeing the effects of it. And I, um, I'm not a expert on this, but I would honestly think that the, the, the drugs themselves, the mental health uh, drugs, the SSRIs and whatnot may have been a contributing factor in the high amount of veteran suicide that we're seeing mm -hmm. um, because suicide ideation is part of these uh, side effects that can come from these, these mind altering chemicals that they're using. Mm -hmm. Um, there, I don't, I don't know if it's 22 veterans a day that are actually committing suicide, but it's somewhere around there. And that number is, I think is, it's, they say it's the average. And I think that that's correct. There was a mm -hmm. time, um, before I actually got into, to working with heroic hearts that, um, there was like a month or so when I basically, my Facebook feed was filled up with nothing, but, um, my friends and, uh, comrades who committed suicide from my unit because it was mm. just, it was just rampant. Like, a, like yeah. every, every week or so we'd be a new person. And it's, it's thankfully in my unit, at least it's slowed down. Um, but it's, it's not ending. And I, and I don't, I don't think this has a lot. I think this has a small, a small amount to do with war, but a lot to do with, uh, the transition from getting out of the military into regular civilian life. Cause while we were deployed and at war, America was watching shows and shopping and drinking yeah. and having yeah. spiritual journeys and everything else. And then we come back and I'm not just saying like just being on deployment, but we are in the mindset of being at war while we're in the military. Like, especially for a guy like me who was in the infantry, that's all we, our minds were always at war because we were going to be going to war. So getting out and transitioning into uh, civilian life was, I think, one of the hardest transitions of my life. I mean, like most of us get divorced. Most of us start drinking problems. Most of us, I mean, like I, all of the above for me, like you know, mm -hmm. money problems. I was broke, you know, mm -hmm. drinking issues, divorce, like all this stuff. So like all the worst things that you think that could probably happen to a, a, a balanced individual happen to a person usually when they get out of the military because we we didn't have the proper guidance of getting out or how mm -hmm. to transition there's no integration coaches right yeah <laughs> so, yeah unfortunately not um so i think that's the reality of it and and i do think that it's the reason why we have to send veterans overseas right now to um to get the the stuff that they need is because we didn't want to accept the benefits of psychedelics in the 60s so we are now reaping 
um, what we sown yeah. from the 1960s. And I think that we're honestly on the way out of it. Thank, thankfully yeah. to people like Paul Stamets and, and other things that have been kind of forging the way for this for a long time. And also in the cannabis industry, moving this, but now because of the internet and we don't have, it's not just anecdotal evidence in, in all cases, but there's enough people talking and enough people listening to see results. And also we can travel to Peru much easier than we could in the 1960s. You know, we can travel to these true. places much easier than we could any other time in history. So sending people overseas is just the most effective and efficient way for our slow moving democracy. So mm -hmm. it's, I'm not, I'm not happy with the results, but at least we have something, at least we at have least something. At least there's some works. momentum. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. I, I even think like one of the catchphrases or whatever slogans um, for heroic hearts is like, Hey, you want to support veterans support psychedelic research. Absolutely. And, and you guys, you know, walk the walk with that. Like you uh, ha are, you have your hand in and are very much involved in a lot of, um, you know, psychedelic research that's happening here stateside. So if you could tell me about like, what's the research showing? What are we seeing now with these MAPS trials and, you know, with the studies that are coming out, what are they saying about treating treatment resistant depression, war trauma, chronic pain and disease? What What's the benefit to, to using plant medicines like ayahuasca? So... I will say from what the research is showing um, across the board from not just with ayahuasca, but with TBI symptoms and with ketamine and with psilocybin, it's showing that there is a statistically significant reduction in PTS and depression for veterans uh, going to ayahuasca and working with psilocybin. Um, so like from the studies that we've been working with, with our clients and everything else that we, we send out, that has been what we have shown. And it's, uh, it's been big enough now because we we're working with, uh, John Hopkins. We're also working with Imperial college. Um, and, uh, a lot of other, we got university of Georgia, Colorado, uh, university of Texas, Austin, uh, Dell medical, we're, we're working with lots of them to basically look into the research of this and everything that we've got, whenever the research does come out significantly shows that it has increased the, basically the, the, <laughs> the well being of the person, the person's symptoms of depression and PTSD are, I wouldn't say gone, but they have significantly reduced and they're much more grounded with no side effects. Yeah, so far with no side effects, no yeah. lasting ones except besides, yeah. um, um, I will say that like for everyone that's listening that probably has not worked with psychedelics, maybe they have, maybe they haven't, but there is a refractory period that comes after working with a big plant medicine experience. And sometimes people do have a massive depression that happens immediately to a couple months after their experience. If this is, if this is you and this is happening to you, I want you to know this is normal and it's okay. It's just a process that can take place and you will find your balance after this passes. But the worst thing to do is to really like dig into it and try to figure out why you're upset or why this is going on instead of just saying, ah, oh, this is normal. And if I let it pass, it'll pass. Do you think that refractory period is serving a purpose somehow in like the rewiring of the brain or even on a spiritual level? Do you think that it's <laughs> well, I think it's, I honestly, um, I think everything has an expansion and contraction in the universe. Yeah. Everything, mm -hmm. um, our hearts do it, our lungs do it. Um, everything has to go up and come down. So 
Um, if you had a really blissful, intense experience, like um, it could mean that you, it's not, just don't expect that to last. And if you have this bliss bubble, don't expect that to last either because nothing, uh, the way I like to, something that I learned from the medicine as well is that everything is impermanent. Like everything, if, if someone's trying to sell you eternal happiness, they're lying to you because it's eternal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that um, that refractory period is basically showing us where we still are not free in our own minds. Um, that's, mm. that's how I see it. Is that like, because one of the ways a lot of people call it pink cloud or bliss bubble. The, 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 yeah, I've heard the it hi- called the pink cloud before. Yeah, the high feeling that you have after ayahuasca or a big psilocybin experience or something where you're just feeling great for whether it be months or weeks or days or whatever it is for you. For me, it was actually like eight months of just really great feeling. And, um, and it did crash. But I think that I like to call that and tell my clients that that is ayahuasca's training wheels. Yeah. That is, That's a great way to put it. That is her way of basically helping you get back into your life and making everything feel nice and easy and it's easy to go about it. And then every once in a while, we're going to throw in a trigger here and we're going to throw in a trigger here until eventually you have to do it on your own and you have to go ride your bike and you're going to fall, scrape your knees. You're going to feel depression. You're going to get anxious. You're going to get angry. You're going to feel these things again. But what you do in that high point when you're like at that balance point is you can tell yourself, well, this is great. But when the next time comes, I'm going to make sure I have these practices set up for myself so I know what to do when I'm depressed. That's the empowerment that can come from it. But if you're not ready, you'll have to you like the rest of us. You learn how to be ready in the situation because you're like, I didn't see this coming. And now eventually right. you'll see it coming. Right, right. No, I I agree with you. I think for me personally, my first ayahuasca experience I had, like you said, I want to say it was seven or eight months where Mm -hmm. I felt on top of the world and incredible and unstoppable and kind of thought like, oh, this is just who I am now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, to be honest, <clears throat> you know, it does come down and you get back a little bit, quote, to normal. But I, I mean, I, I never returned to the the person that I was before I drank ayahuasca. And even though, you know, that there are ebbs and flows in the integration where I might feel really good for less of a period of time. Um, I love that about integration because it does feel like a continuation of ceremony. I'm, I'm working out some stuff still. I'm, you know, riding my bike with the training wheels, like you said, because I'm getting stronger so I can do this on my own with the aid of the medicine and my experiences in ceremony. And in, in your case, I mean, wish everybody could have an integration counselor and a, you know, community of support before and after they drink these medicines, because they're just such a huge advantage to have. Absolutely. Um, at least if not to have somebody who speaks the language that you speak after yeah. returning from one of these things. And I mean that because like, it's ineffable what, what the experience is. It's indescribable. Mm-hmm. And then trying to get back to, <laughs> to reality. <laughs> I mean, like after, yeah. after that experience and not having anybody to, to talk to about it, that can cause some really major setbacks in your yep. personal growth. Nothing, nothing you can't handle, but just it doesn't need to be that way if, 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 if you can help it. I agree. I, um, 
you know, when I went to Costa Rica the first time I had a, a therapist that I had been seeing for a few years up to that point, And I had told her that I was going on a yoga retreat. Cause I'm like, she just, I didn't know if she, I don't know. I just said, I'm going on a yoga retreat. And then when I came back, <clears throat> I remember we had a session and I was like, that was no yoga retreat. <laughs> and I was like, but I really need you to just dig deep here. And I know this is like, not your thing. She'd never even heard about it. She didn't know what it was, but I was like desperate. I was like, I need you to just find a way to like hold space for me to, to share what mm -hmm. I experienced and help me process some of the stuff. It is so important. And thankfully she did. She was wonderful about it despite yeah. having no knowledge. So I think it's just a real gift that you can honor or offer these people is giving them that space. And then I think also that's what the community does too, is you have friends that have been, have drank medicine who have had these experiences. And, and that's a huge part of, of keeping it going and, you know, sharing and supporting each other and reminding each other about stuff like the pink cloud, like, Hey, th this happened to me. It's okay. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. having those conversations is, is so beneficial and so healing. And I just firmly believe that community spiritual community, whatever you want to call it, is such a key factor in working with these medicines in a healthy way. I 100% agree. Um, it was it was a thing that I think that all of us as human beings are reaching for. It's just community. Yeah. People who see us and hear us and care about us. That's it. Yep. Simple. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is that simple. And don't and don't have judgment about it, you know, which is given the context of this type of stuff, you know, yeah. that's my whole thing, too, is I always tell people, like, before you judge, just like, hear me out a little bit on and then that's what this podcast kind of was formed about is, you know, me being able to have a platform where I can just talk openly about and we talk about ayahuasca, we talk about a lot of stuff, but it's really the important thing is just having a place to talk openly and honestly about things like this. Mm -hmm. um, so if people out there are interested in either like becoming an ambassador or they want to just help get the word out about heroic hearts or donating money or what can people do to help support what you guys are doing? So you can go onto our website and there is a donate button there. You can also buy some of our merch if you want to, that also goes towards um, everything. And, um, and it's great merch by the way, like yeah. it really well, is. And I even like just it. wearing, wearing a t-shirt that says, you know, and they're cool. They're like cool t-shirts, but it's like, you know, saying with the slogans and stuff about, you know, you want to support the vets, support psychedelic research. It's catchy. Like it's something there. If you wear that out and somebody comes up and you strike up, strike up a conversation, you know, that's helpful. Yeah, we have uh, we have shirts right now that say, ask me about ayahuasca, ask me about psilocybin, ask me about DM I know. DMT I need to email Jenny and be like, Jenny, please send me the ask me about ayahuasca one because it's my favorite subject anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So you can so you can go on the, our website and you can find uh, that stuff there. You can also, if you're a veteran seeking um, uh, to work with us, you can also go on our website and, and fill out information there. Um, the best way to get a hold of us would be through um, the the regular platforms: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, and you can directly message our um, our page, and then those go to the leadership team, and we can get you from there. So if you're looking at becoming an ambassador, you can also find myself, Jesse, Tammy, Jenny on LinkedIn. And, uh, and you'll, we'll be able to basically point you in the right direction if you want to help us out through um, personal work or other things that's not just financial. If, if you can, uh, money is the easiest and fastest way to help us. And it, it all it does go towards this wonderful mission that we're trying to do. And that's help the, the veteran community. So um, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to be on here and talk about all this.
Oh my gosh, it's truly my pleasure. And I want to say, you know, first and foremost, I didn't say it in the beginning, but, you know, thank you for your service, first of all, but thank you for your willingness to share your story. And mostly thank you for what you're doing every day to help and to be a part of the healing that's so desperately needed, not just in the world, but especially in this community and for these guys who have sacrificed so much. So Thank you for coming on this like little old podcast to talk. It, it really means so much. And I will post those links like for the LinkedIn um, and the Instagram and all that in the show notes so people can access those easily. But truly, Jared, thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on and, and sharing your story and the message of Heroic Hearts. It's been awesome to talk to you today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. It was great. Thanks again.